1: Hello and welcome to Women with Balls, where I, Katie Balls, feature to today's trailblazers. My guest today is the Managing Director of Daytime Television at ITV. She controls the seven and a half hours of morning flagship shows: Good Morning Britain, The Rain, This Morning, and These Women. In this department, she manages over four hundred people. Over lockdown, ITV's daytime viewing figures hit an eleven-year high and peaked at one point eight million in December two thousand twenty the talent on these shows have often gone on to become celebrities in and of themselves. And with that, they have brought controversy. Household names include Holly Willoughby and Phil Schofield, along with Susanna Reid, who often clashed with co host Piers Morgan. Morgan famously went viral last year after storming out the ITV studios after a disagreement about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Behind the scenes for all of this was my guest today, Emma Gormley. So Emma, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today and also for being here in person, which we always enjoy. To begin, uh, would you describe yours as a happy
0: childhood? And if not, how would you describe it? Well, very nice to be here, Katie, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I had a really happy childhood. I come from a really normal family, but really, really happy. Not Mary Poppins, but a great family and a very close family. So that's really, really important in my life. My my dad, who is now 82, you know, was the first person to buy buy his house, which he still lives in, which is our family home. My mum was a nurse and worked for the NHS for 50 years. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. But both really, really hardworking parents, you know, really instilled that into the three of us. I'm one of three. I have an older sister and I have a twin brother uh, who's 10 minutes older and um my poor mum didn't know she was having us until the day before because they weren't I'm I'm mature enough that there weren't scans in those days so they didn't know I was hiding behind my brother <laughs> oh my god what a surprise yeah i think it was quite shocking and quite unusual in those days sort of pre fertility treatment and things so i think so as as a twin it was really you know there was there was obviously something in the water that year because there were four sets of twins in our class so there there was something going on so did you and
1: your fellow twin have much of a sibling rivalry growing up? Did you have uh, similar interests?
0: No, not at all. <laughs> Completely different. We've spent our lives and still do, actually. And we're really close. And my sister, the three of us are super close, actually. We speak most days, actually, on our family WhatsApp. And my brother was very sort of sciencey. He ended up doing a chemistry degree. You know, that is not my strength. And, you know, I'm in the more English-arty, uh, creative side. But, you know, so, so very different. Not much rivalry. Had very different, you know, uh, he wasn't particularly sporty. I was. And, you know, I didn't have pushy parents. But the three of us, have, it's all worked out. And I think that's really interesting. They were very, very supportive. Sort of, I guess, sort of fairly fairly liberal, but with rules. So by that, I mean, you could trash the kitchen and cook whatever you wanted but you, you, you had to clear it up, you had to do the washing up, you had, to, you had to do all of that. So, you know, it was, you know, we liked to laugh a lot. My mum was Irish, um, we had, you know, uh, she was very warm, very friendly, very jovial. So a lot of laughter in our home and not, you know, taking the mickey out of each other, which we all still do. Um, now, you go on to
1: study broadcast journalism, but you said at the time you kn- already knew you didn't want to be on screen. Why was that? Was it just a feeding? <laughs> I
0: think, you know,
1: for me... It... I, feel, I feel like doing my journalism course, most people want to be on screen.
0: Yeah, and, and most people most people did. There were about 20 of us, I think, in on that course. It was really, you know, you had a, a day-long interview... And if you made it to the end, you got a place on the course and there were like one or two people at the end of the day. So I was really thrilled to get on the course and, and get in. And again, I've still got friends from the course, but I just remember on day one, you know, we were asked by the tutor, what what, what do you, what's your career aspiration? And everybody said, I you know, I wanted to, uh, I'd really like to present today programme, women's hour. I'd like to, you know, present uh, the 10 o'clock news. And then it sort of came to me and I was sort of like, oh God, well, you know, and I I was just like, I really want to be a researcher on This Morning and I could just see everybody going, oh my gosh, what's she doing here? But I genuinely did. That's, I loved daytime TV. I loved breakfast TV. I was already an addict at that, at the age of, what was I, sort of 21 and watched all of those, you know, watched all of those sort of programmes. So for me, I'd never, I'd never wanted to be the the centre of attention actually, I'm not, I don't have that sort of gene. I'm very, very comfortable behind the camera. Even in photographs, I'm very happy behind taking the photo. Um, And I don't mean that in a humble, coy way. I just, it's not for me. And I I also sort of think I probably learnt quite early on about the scrutiny you're under. And I, you know, it's really tough. You know, I don't envy anybody because it's really, really tough. You're criticised for everything, what you say, what you wear, you know, everything. So um that's not for me. That wouldn't suit me. Now, you uh finish your journalism masters.
1: And obviously, we have limited time on this podcast. So we're going to whip through and probably do a discourtesy to some of your jobs in between. <laughs> One that struck me is obviously, we know you through ITV. But you did uh, spend time working for the Anna Nick breakfast show on the BBC at the time. So how was that experience?
0: So that was my first telly job. So I after I finished my postgrad you're trained as a as a radio journalist, so I worked in various local radio stations. I was okay, I liked news reading I loved the fact of going out and making packages i mean I still really love radio I listen to a lot of radio, and I loved all of that sort of you know layering of sound and being out on your own and do and doing that but actually my ambition and it was really good and it was really good for quite a while because it paid off my overdraft it paid off my university fees etc but it wasn't where I wanted to land I didn't want to present a radio program I didn't want to then go on to present regional news you know I wanted to I wanted to work in daytime and I wanted to work on a network program so I applied for two jobs and one of them was on Anne and Nick at the BBC which was the the daytime uh, version of This Morning and then also This Morning, which at that time was based in Liverpool. And I got the gig on as a trainee researcher on Anne and Nick, which was brilliant. And then a week later, it's quite ironic, I got an offer to work on This Morning, which obviously now I'm responsible for. But I never actually worked on it. So, and so that, and if, and, given that was your ambition at the start of your course, were you a bit like,
1: that one should have come first?
0: Yeah, it was, yeah. But I was just so thrilled to just be in this world and... You know, I met amazing people and such a training ground, you know, working in live television and particularly as a training researcher, it can go very wrong. And I worked with brilliant people, great journalists and, you know, just a really, really interesting experience. And also, again, like any of the programmes we do, there's so much airtime to fill. So you're always under pressure to keep coming up with ideas. It's all about our currency as ideas. So... That's what we thought, you know, that's what we think about. And that's what, you know, I learned at a very, very early age. It's coming into a morning meeting with lots of ideas. It's thinking how that can translate on screen. And I still get a thrill. I still try and send sneaky ideas to the editors if I've seen something and I think this person would be good or can we do this. So um, I think they humor me sometimes. And just to make people on this podcast feel good about themselves... But did you have any
1: disasters <laughs> early on in your career? Because I remember doing work experience in some of these places and friends who went to, you know, these big TV shows. And we had Katie on from, obviously, um, and she was a researcher on the Today programme for a bit. At a time, and Rod Little, <laughs> I say was an editor, and I think they had ups but also downs so I just wonder is any day when you kind of suggest an idea and it turns out you've misunderstood something or
0: oh my gosh I think you know what you learn at that level is I mean you it's just it's so painful so if you work on one of those shows you work in a, on a day team if you're the trainee researcher you're you know you're always probably working at a higher level and just basics you don't you don't know because you don't know. You may not have taken somebody to sound. They might not be mic'd. They're sitting in front of the talent. They're they're wearing uh, you know something really stroby because you don't know the rules. That herringbone doesn't look right on screen. You're I mean I mean God, so many it's, and and that's in, in all honesty that's what obviously you have producers that that capture that but you know that's sort of sort of part of the fun that you don't you actually you you don't know but you learn all of it and you learn by really hard mistakes by not booking the car at the right time and and actually then sort of paying the price for that either on air or off-air afterwards in the debrief. So, oh my God, loads of things, loads of things.
1: Now, you then
0: moved to GMTV.
1: How is the move from BBC to GMTV and obviously a different bracket?
0: So I, again, you know, what I said earlier, I loved breakfast television, and GMTV was this, you know, tabloid breakfast programme. It was riding high. I kind of actually feel I sort of blagged the job. I They asked me what I wanted to do when I you know, when I went for the interview and I said, I really want to be, I want to work in your entertainment department. I know so much about showbiz. And I was sort of thinking, God, well, I, I don't actually know if I do. I've kind of read hello today, but I'm not really sure. Anyway, I I got, it was just such an exciting time. And, and again, to be 24, 25 and in that environment. And it was the days that, you know, you would have just the most amazing, and and we still do. And, you know, this is why I'm still working in this this genre and this area. I just remember being in the green room one morning as a producer and there was Tony Blair and there was Pamela Anderson, you know, so the Prime Minister and the star from who was in her, her red swimming costume in the in the green room and this just kind of mix, this cocktail of just like fascinating people that I'm setting you know, making the stories and setting the agenda. It was brilliant. And did Tony Blair know where to look? He was very, <laughs> very polite. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I I will always remember the expression on his face <laughs> as he walked in.
1: Now, you, uh, what are your um, first kind of very senior jobs as editor of Lorraine? So, I suppose we'll talk through what your current job involves. But what does it being editor of a program like that mean? Are you, are you basically on the line for any mistake, or is it what time do you have to get up? If something goes wrong, do you get the call?
0: As an editor of the of a show like Lorraine, you are of course it's the show is your responsibility you have somebody like me that's that's over you and you refer to you you know it's your show it's your team so you're doing these jobs are it's not just creating the show looking at the ideas all of the editors all of the editors i work with are amazing and the skill set they have so you are getting up at the crack of sparrows um i mean i'm sure we'll talk about that later but at that time, as the editor of Lorraine, I, my alarm went off at 4.45. Sometimes I would stretch it to 5. And if you get up at that time of morning, you will empathise and know that that 15 minutes is everything to, to get up later. At the time, I had two daughters under, I think they were under two and a half. So it was, it was you know, I look back and think, oh my God, I don't think I could do that now. But So as the editor, you're coming up with ideas. You're looking after the on-screen talent you're making sure that, that making sure that the show rates. You're all the time, just like you go in, you wake up, you're listening to the bulletins, you're seeing what's happened overnight, you're seeing if you need to move a running order, you're going in and, and briefing that or saying to the team and then briefing uh the on-screen talent what the stories are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, and I always think the responsibility that somebody like me or one of the editors or any of us working in daytime is all of our on-screen faces and talent, they trust their careers on us. So we have to be, you know, I take that really seriously So and always have. And, you know, they are the people that are sitting there reading what we're writing or reading from our briefing notes, etc. So in that role, you're responsible for everything and the good and the bad and when things go wrong or uh, the recruitment of, of great people behind the scenes, all of it. It's your, it's your, it's your responsibility. And in that process, do you
1: end up forming a close bond with the lead presenter? So in that case, Lorraine, because you you are so codependent on each other in a way. You know, if one fails, the other does.
0: Yeah, you really have to. With all of our on-screen talent, it's about trust. So you have to really gain the trust of everybody on screen, and that doesn't always come. You know, on the first morning, the first week, the first month, the first year, and rightfully so. it's about it is on screen talent. Somebody like Lorraine is amazing. She's been on screen for for decades. is brilliant at her job. has seen many people like me come and go, and and actually, I think all of our on screen talent have a right to go in slowly and not not gush and not. You have to know that people have to start trusting you, and that takes a while. On a live show, it takes a while. You have to earn your stripes. Now, in 2015, you became Managing Director of
1: Daytime TV at ITV. What was that moment like? Were you expecting to get it? Did you have to go for the job?
0: Yes, I had to go for the job. I felt really, you know, sometimes you go for interviews and you sometimes think about jobs. It was literally my dream job. I mean, to to run all of those shows, to have... I knew what we needed to do. And at the time, there was a different breakfast show on air. GMB hadn't launched... The shows were in, you know, varying degrees. It's always, I describe it like sort of, it's like spinning four plates. You know, they're all very different. I was very clear what needed to happen. And, you know, sometimes you you have an interview and you just sort of think, I, I just couldn't have done, I couldn't have done better. And it was one of those moments. I've had many interviews where I've done really badly and obviously haven't got the job. Um, but I felt really passionate. I felt very clear about what we were going to do and what we needed to do. And the difficulties further up the road, and what we need, what we needed to transform, and thankfully the the people, the women at the time that um, employed me gave me that opportunity.
1: And for listeners, talk us through an average day in this role.
0: So my role as MD of daytime is ultimately I'm responsible for those seven and a half hours of live television each day, Monday to Friday. So that is on the grand scheme of life it's all it's almost like running a very very big indie you know having those four shows which are juggernauts are always in the press scrutiny have I think a list of talent across them and you know it's a very very large department there are about 500 of us in it so the role is is everything so ultimately I'm responsible for those four shows I look after the talent so as in I ensure they're all happy. I look at what they're doing, thinking about what we can do. You know, I have to have a long-term vision. I talk to the editors each day. I look at what, every night, I'm looking at the rundowns, what we're doing on the shows each day. I'm making sure that we're all happy, that uh, we've done the right checks, or that this is going to work, or... All of those kind of calls. Of course thrown into that is breaking news. And of course, that doesn't ever, uh, you can't say that happens between nine and five each day in a nice, neat package. So one of my roles is if there's a massive news story, I do get calls at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. So examples of that so the phone's never on silent? No, no. The phone's permanently beside my bed. Both phones, actually. The landline and and my mobile. It's very that's, popular
1: in your household. <laughs> it's
0: very, yeah. Actually, I had to move the landline, actually, because my husband was being woken up a bit um, at one time. Have you tried the thing where it's only a
1: ringtone and certain people call you? No,
0: no because you, you never know. know okay. You never know. Yeah. You never know who's going to call you. So And, of course, we work at, at different times. There's different shifts. There's different people. So, no, that ain't going to work. So... And actually, probably only on a Friday night, I don't, sometimes Saturday, I don't have my phone beside my bed. I think that's kind of, that feels like a good Friday night vibe. But uh, generally, it's on all the time. And the the really serious incidents that have happened when I have been called are, for example, Grenfell. I got a call at probably about 2.30 in the morning from the editor of GMB to say it was happening. And of course, something such... enormous news story and a breaking news story in our airtime you have to then look at what we're going to do for the rest of the morning and the impact on the rest of the shows and also of course just the the really obvious things you know are our people safe at that location who's there What, what are we doing how are we going to do it so stories like Grenfell the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester all of those really tragic awful you know big breaking news stories then I get woken up for those and and thankfully we haven't I mean we've had long-running other news stories in the last two years but thankfully not those kind of stories. And during the
1: pandemic there was a boycott by Downing Street and actually quite soon after the 2019 election too I think Downing Street were being quite picky over where certain ministers would go and who they'd speak to. You were critical of uh, the idea of a boycott. How do you perceive the way that, I suppose, Number 10, but more broadly, political parties kind of prioritise where their ministers go? It feels as though there's always, obviously, that morning round, which is pretty straight political. Um, you, so you have the Today programme. You will ultimately have, um, you know, sometimes Times radio's on that. But do you think they're diverse enough on where they put people?
0: I think our viewers, I don't know why when folk were doing the rounds, when politicians were doing the rounds, they didn't feel it was appropriate to come and talk to our viewers, if I'm honest. So of course we would always find that insulting and we would always want to have all of those people at the heart of the story being able to be challenged by our on-screen talent. So, And I still believe that i still think that we and and, you know the good news is we do have government ministers now do come on good morning britain and across other shows but at that time it was such a critical time for the country and we all and me very much so just bemused that that didn't happen and why wouldn't people speak to our viewers so i'll leave it at that but i that's we strongly believe that and we you know, we, there isn't a day goes by where we don't invite the Prime Minister onto our, to, onto our shows and we would love him to come on. Um, I'd like to see the Prime Minister on Loose Women. That would be really interesting. We'd love him on Loose Women too. And um, yeah, he should come on. He's he's obviously come on to this morning and feels quite at home there. But Lorraine, Loose Women, Good Morning Britain. He's welcome any day, at any time. I just, the final thing on that,
1: I, I do just find it interesting because I... I sometimes think that you can, if you're covering politics from inside Westminster, become a little bit focused on probably the audience that you think is the most influential in terms of the terms of debate. When actually a lot of the people you need to be speaking to in terms of your voter base are watching programmes that are later in the morning, some of them which are on ITV and are not on that Today programme news night cycle.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all about demographics, isn't it? So I predominantly across our seven and a half hours and across all the shows, you know, audience is predominantly women. And why wouldn't you speak to our audience and that demographic and people that have that voice and are that age? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, as I said, bemused that that doesn't happen. You know, we are a, a tabloid audience, I guess, and our audience is predominantly women. And, you know, particularly during those COVID months, weeks, now into years, that's a critical audience to meet uh, and to talk to and to discuss health with. And I would imagine if you've got key messaging, that's, that's what you want to do. So yes, we would still, the invites are still there. And now just a few final questions for me,
1: one of which is one of the reasons when we're talking about why I think number 10 were quite reluctant to send ministers, for example, in Good Morning Britain, is Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan is no longer on Good Morning Britain. And that came about not because of any political boycott, um, but a row over Good Morning Britain's coverage of Meghan Markle, a comment uh, Piers Morgan made about not believing, um, something she said, which then led to, I'm sure actually most people have seen the clips, but, you know, uh, an on-air row, and then afterwards he didn't come back. Reports at the time said you you were on set behind the scenes. I wondered, what is it like when something like that happens? As you touched on earlier, your shows make all this news. They're so in the public glare. And then you're dealing with a bit of a, a media storm of your own as you work out what to do.
0: Well, we're always, you know, I would say the shows are always very noisy. We had and, you know, we want to be you know, there is no, my ambition isn't to make uh, vanilla television. You want something with a strong flavour. Piers was that strong flavour for five years and we really enjoyed having him. We really enjoyed working with him. He's such a force, you know, a fantastic journalist and in my world there are eras of breakfast television. We've talked about some of them earlier and uh, Piers decided to go and we are we've moved on and that was March and now we're November and I'm sure I'll always be asked about it and I think we had a really, really good time with peers and it was, you know, an exceptional era and we will have great eras as well to come. But we're still there, we're still doing a brilliant job. We've still got amazing on screen talent, amazing journalists and we, you know, certainly from my perspective, I have a really good Relationship with Piers and I know he's going to be fantastic in his new role, which he's announced. Yes, so I was going to say, um,
1: you're talking about new eras and how obviously the industry changes. So we have a situation where I suppose News UK is launching their own uh, channel, which will have Piers Morgan. There's GB News, which has had some bumps in the road. I think it's fair to say, but is still going. Does this new competition in the TV sector affect you particularly? I think it's obviously quite hard for a startup you know, these new new channels. But does it, you know, factor into your plans when you're thinking about how you're going to run your shows?
0: So, I mean, the, the first thing I'd say is all of these, you know, GB News, what's happening, News Corp, you know, I think it's really great. I think it, I mean, it creates jobs in live television. It creates jobs for journalists. It creates experience for trainee researchers that become then people like me. So, I think my starting point is I think it's fantastic. My second point would be I'm really competitive. I work with really steely competitive people. So, of course, it alters our thoughts. It keeps us, it certainly keeps us very ambitious. It keeps us thinking about what our strategy is. And also, we will never rest on our laurels. It's really, really hard to make a successful program, and it's really hard to run a successful channel. So, and particularly with where we are with SVODs and the and the way that we're all watching television, we're watching in a completely different way. We're almost in it's a, it's a TV revolution. So, I think I think it's brilliant. There are all these jobs, but we are we're very competitive. I scrutinise ratings. I'm looking at everything the editors of each of the show, the senior teams, um, we're competitive with each other, so let alone with the outside world. So I think a really good thing, and I would say, you know, it's just really hard and it takes a really long time, and particularly in a daytime audience. It is, you either watch, you know your own habits, and to change viewers' or listeners' habits is really, really tough, and that's what we intend to do all the time, every day.
1: We hear a lot about on demand but do you find the daytime audience is still much more likely to watch things live than this Netflix model we see more with some of these kind of other programs?
0: Yeah I think certainly in our world it's what a breakfast show what you're waking up to you want to have news you want to you want to hear what's going on our viewers are doing very different things at the time of day as well so Obviously, for in Good Morning Britain, people are and you know it was different during COVID, and now it's we're all getting back, we're all getting the the kids and feeding them and getting at them out the door and looking for pee kits and things. So you're you're not sitting down and watching as you were. So and and you know as I say, Lorraine is a bit more kind of you, you perhaps have a bit uh, it's a bit more me time as a woman where you can you know possibly you know hopefully sit down with a cup of coffee and then this morning is, you know, it's two and a half hours, it's a juggernaut, we're not, we would love everybody to watch the two and a half hours and and a lot of people do but we also, you know, there are some segments that people really want to watch and others that they'll, they'll come back to and then Loose Women is a real, you know, we want that to be a real sort of laugh at lunchtime as well as kind of just different opinions, just different female opinions so I think in our world, in live TV, the audience is very, very much there, but I would never be complacent. It's really hard. It gets harder. It gets harder each year. And I feel really, really proud that our shows are you know, up year on year. We're up at the highest point in a decade. So I think that's an amazing place to be but we need to stay there and that's what I, that's my job.
1: <laughs> now, just a final question is when we ask everyone on this podcast, which is um, what is the worst advice you've ever been given, which could have been in the course of your career or, or you know, as uh, growing up?
0: Oh my so, ma- so many pieces of advice. Absolute worst. Well, I think one that is just, it, it makes me laugh still and it always, and it is, you can fix it in the edit so when you start, when you are the training researcher, or when you're going out on shoots and you're filming something, and you you have no idea, and in our worlds you you have to always appear quite confident, don't you, and that you know what you're doing, and and you know there isn't you're not necessarily taught how to make a film or what works and what doesn't, and you come back sometimes with a tangle of mess, and there's just a I always just sort of think previous more senior people above me at times said don't worry you can you can fix it in the edit you can fix it in the edit and you can't if you haven't got if you haven't got the basics if you haven't got the sound bite, if you haven't got the shot you're screwed so that just always makes me laugh because you can't and you still I still hear it and I just sort of think oh gosh that shows no experience oh, I'm pleased to say we won't need to fix this in the edit so thank you very much for
1: coming on today thank you